Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5, where we've been now for five Sundays, and today will be the sixth sermon from our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. For those listening to the audio tape or watching the video, we have already read Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7, and Isaiah 6, 1 through 7, both of which passages help sober us and prepare our hearts for the subject that our Lord now deals with in the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount is correcting the law of God from the abuses of the Pharisees. I'm thankful for a context that tells me that, that he didn't come to change the law, and that he was going to set forth a level of righteousness that far exceeded the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And he told us that as he got started back in verses 17 through 20 of the first of this first chapter, chapter 5. He has clearly explained that he did not come to change the law of God. He has clearly explained that if we neglect the least of God's commandments, we're least in the kingdom of heaven. And so we want to pay attention to every subject that he deals with, that we might be found faithful in his sight. He did not come to overthrow Moses, did not come to change the law of God, came to explain it and interpret it because it had been so abused. And since the Lord tells us that to be great in the kingdom of heaven is to explain the least of his commandments, I want to do that. I look at the Sermon on the Mount and I see relationship problems dealt with in verses 21 through 26. Because that's probably one of the easiest ways in which we sin is in our relationships. Then in verses 27 through 32, we had sex and marriage dealt with. Divorce. Love. And we sin very easily and we're tempted, especially in our society, in that area of life. But then we come to verse 33 and he deals with our mouths. And it is so easy to let words slip. It's so easy to let words slip in the house of God. It's so easy to let words slip about the Lord. To let slip his name. To talk about his word. Not to live up to those words. May the Lord bless us as we... As we study this chapter, would someone please go out and uh, shut down the noise machine outside this door? Thank you very much. This subject is an excellent one for learning how to use the Bible. This subject is just like the wine subject. There's verses in the Bible that use the word wine and drinking and strong drink in a way that those people who have a weakness for that particular, for whatever reason, their parents taught them the wrong way. They saw a drunkard once in their life. And so they want to jump in the ditch that all use of wine is wrong. will lay hold of those verses and they'll, they'll stand there in the ditch with all the, the swamp and throwaways around their feet and not find the high road of the Word of God that shows us that a moderate use of wine and strong drink is commended in the Bible. This subject is just like this because there's some verses worded in a way that if you have a disposition against oaths or swearing or you're paranoid of them for some reason, you'll, you'll grab a hold of them and there are many people that do it. There's two whole denominations, brethren. Mennonites and Jehovah's Witnesses will not take an oath. They will not take an oath in court. They will not put their left hand in the Bible and raise their right hand even though they're claiming to be Christians. And do you know what that has done to the cause of Christ in the eyes of the world? Well, why won't they? Aren't they going to tell the truth? Why won't they? Are they ashamed of their God? We, pagan unbelievers, are using their Bible. And they won't put their left hand in a Bible and say, so help me God. Two whole denominations. Many, many years ago, we had trouble in this congregation itself with those who mistook these words and didn't understand their sense. And I pray that you'll listen today. My normal outline for these sermons is five pages. This one is 20. But I'm not going to take that long because it's not that complicated. But I hope that you'll listen carefully and realize that the Lord is not telling us never to swear. He's telling us never to swear like the Pharisees. He's not telling us don't make an oath. He's saying don't make oaths like the Pharisees and scribes are doing it. 
They are, they are profane with their mouths. They're frivolous with their oaths. Don't be like them. I want to be the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and give the sense of these words, and I hope I can give you the understanding of them. Let's go to Leviticus 24 to read a story to get your attention. Leviticus chapter 24. When I'm trying to teach someone how to study the Bible and why we're different, I go first to wine, and one of the second places I go is swearing. Because the words... Listen, if you're going by the sound of words, you're dead meat in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. And you, you've got to come up with a sense or you end up making the Lord Jesus Christ himself a sinner, the Apostle Paul a terrible sinner, if you don't rightly divide the word of truth. Here's a, here's a story from the Old Testament that might get our attention about our lips. Leviticus chapter 24, I want to begin reading at verse 10. And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and this son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. And they brought him unto Moses. And his mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. And they put him in ward, that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp. And let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth his God shall bear his sin. And he that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death. And all the congregations shall certainly stone him, as well the stranger, as he that is born in the land, when he blasphemeth the name of the Lord, shall be put to death. Here's a little story in the life history of Israel. A man whose father was an Egyptian, his mother was an Israelite, went out and got into a fight with another Israelite. When you're in a fight, your anger is aroused, your adrenaline is aroused, and you have the least control of everything that counts. And this man cursed the man he was fighting in the name of the Lord Jehovah. And so they put him in ward. The people that heard the name of the Lord come out of his lips, they put him in prison. They put him in uh, the detention center until they got to Moses and said, Moses, what do we do? Moses asked the Lord, and the Lord said, take him out. And everyone that heard him, let my name out of his lips, put their hands on his head and stone him to death. That is serious business. In a fight, in anger, letting the Lord's name out of your mouth, stoned to death when God's in charge of a nation's laws. But that doesn't make all swearing wrong, nor does it make swearing and anger wrong. Because I read in Psalm 95 that the Lord swore in his wrath. He was angry with Israel and he swore. And that oath is, we're reminded about that wonderful oath as we get over to Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, because it was that oath that told the Israelites they could not take the land of Canaan. When we come to Proverbs chapter 30, the wise man Agur said, Lord, don't make me so rich that I would live an unholy life, and don't make me so poor that I'd be tempted to steal, because if I steal, after I've taken your name and your religion, I would be taking your name in vain, by stealing and calling myself a Christian. I'm using a New Testament term to describe an Old Testament saint. And so Agur tells us that's how much how important it was to him. Lord, there's a limit. I don't care if you just give me food convenient for me. Don't make me so poor that I would end up stealing and by stealing profane your name because I am one of your followers. So we see its importance. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. And begin at verse 33, where the Lord Jesus Christ addresses the problem of the Pharisees' religion and the Jews' tradition. Verse 33. Let me read the whole section down to verse 37. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, For it is God's throne, nor by the earth, 
for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now, here's how, here's how it's worded sometimes. I approach the Bible with childlike faith. And I believe his words literally. If approaching the Bible with childlike faith and believing his words literally is the way to understand the Bible, then there is absolutely no need for the ministry. We can just buy Bibles and give them even to our little children and let them approach with childlike faith because this Bible, your King James Bible, is written at the sixth grade level. The level of the number of words in this Bible is written at the sixth grade level. We just ought to give Bibles out because that is not how the Bible is to be understood. There has to be a man of God that applies himself full time to figure out the Bible. And even then at the end of a life where he's applied himself full time, he's going to say, there's so much I'm waiting to find out on the other side of that curtain. The workman has to rightly divide the word of truth. And there's no right, there's no dividing at all when you take it in childlike faith and simplicity based on the literal sound of words. There has to be a sense put on the word of God. It does not tell us in Nehemiah chapter 8 that Ezra read in the law of God distinctly and caused them to understand the reading by reading distinctly. Because reading distinctly will not give you the sense. There's some words stuck in the middle of that that tell us he read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's what we want to do as we look at this verse. Verse 33 is easy. Again, So Jesus is continuing to undo the errors of the scribes and Pharisees. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. Now Leviticus 19.12 sounds like this. Let me read Leviticus 19.12 to you. Jesus didn't say it was written. He said you've heard it preached. And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. Now when you come back and look at Matthew 5.33, it looks close enough that you might be able to give the scribes and Pharisees the benefit of the doubt that they were quoting from Leviticus 19.12. But Jesus isn't dealing with the quote from Leviticus 19.12. He's dealing with their abuse of Leviticus 19.12 and how they had taken 19.12 and shrunk it down to anybody could be blameless in the face of 19.12. Jesus is undoing the preaching of the scribes and Pharisees. Swearing is not just an option. It's a commandment. It's an act of worship of the law of Moses. It existed long before the law of Moses. It's an act of worship. To vow things to God in the name of God. To promise God with an oath things that you're going to do. To appeal, to add force to your words by appealing to the name of God. Abraham did it over and over. And Abraham was 400 years before Moses. When Abraham sent his... This is how important marriage is to a believer. When Abraham sent his servant, what did he make him do before he left? And it was a very... uh personal transaction, to say the least. He made him swear in the name of the Lord that he would go and get a wife for Isaac that met his qualifications. Remember? It was a very serious matter. And there's Abraham swearing. And then God swore to Abraham about the promise of the blessing that would come through his seed. So there's oaths and swearing before the law of Moses. But let me give you a couple of references. Look at Deuteronomy, or you can listen to this. Deuteronomy 6.13. Listen to this commandment. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. That's a positive commandment. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. So there's a commandment to swear. Deuteronomy 6.13. Deuteronomy 10.20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve and to him shalt thou cleave and swear by his name. Swearing is a commandment of the law of Moses. Abraham did it before Moses. Jesus Christ 
is not going to undo what Abraham did and what Moses commanded. He's going to undo what the Pharisees did to corrupt that commandment. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time. He's undoing the preaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. Let's go to verse 34. But I say unto you, and I love reading and preaching the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes up a quote, or he takes up a a one-verse summary of what the scribes and the Pharisees taught, which was the common popular religion of their day, the conservatives of their day. The scribes were the ones that copied the scriptures. The Pharisees were the most conservative denomination. So he summarizes their denominational position on a subject, and then he says, but. And but means they're heretics. They're wrong. They're dead wrong. And he doesn't apologize. He doesn't say, well, in all kindness to my dear brothers in the ministry, I'd like to extend a hand of fellowship that we can agree to disagree on this subject. Have you ever heard drivel like that? Listen, will you do me a favor? If you ever hear me talking like that, put me out of my misery, and I mean that the way it used to mean. Shoot me. If you ever hear such drivel and twaddle coming out of my mouth, go home and look those two words up. You'll enjoy it. Drivel and twaddle. Let's agree to disagree. I'd like to extend a hand of fellowship to my brother who disagrees on this point. Jesus said, but I say unto you. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. He was saying they're wrong on this subject of swearing. And that's why at the end of this sermon it says the people were astonished because they had never heard anything like this in their lives. I want you to love the Word of God. I want you to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful, though not worthy, to be his ambassador, and I'm going to preach it just the way he gave it. Jesus condemned those heretics, and we're going to condemn them. But I say unto you, swear not at all. Now, if someone just dives into Matthew 5.34 and gets the word swear not at all, whoa, that sounds pretty plain. Should we take an oath in court? Could you ever say the pledge to the flag? Does it have the word God in the pledge to the flag? Whoa! Look at the words. Jesus is saying by the word swear not at all, don't swear at all the way the Pharisees are. They had added swears to everyday common life and oaths to everyday life. And Jesus is telling them don't deal with swearing the way the Pharisees do. At this point, we need to jump to Matthew 23 and see what the Pharisees were doing. And I'm so thankful for the Word of God, and I'm thankful that it taught me how to study it. Matthew 20, first, we're going to go to Matthew 23. 1 Corinthians 2.13 tells us to compare spiritual things with spiritual. I wouldn't know what errors the Pharisees had. Well, yeah, I would know a few, wouldn't I? By Matthew chapter 5, what were they swearing by in Matthew 5? Since you've turned, don't look back. What were they swearing by in Matthew 5? Land, their head, Jerusalem, and heaven. Yeah, we're getting a few more coming up in Matthew 23. What did the Lord say in Deuteronomy 6.13 and 10.20? Thou shalt swear by my name. I want to be the authority of last resort when you are wanting to confirm your word. I want in every difficulty you ever face, the appeal be made to me because I am a jealous God and thou shalt fear my name and thou shalt cleave to me and thou shalt swear by my name. That that lifts God up as high as possible because an oath should not occur unless it's a very important matter. And do you know what that means for a person's life? In every important matter, they give God the glory and they commit everything they're doing to Him and they call Him to record on their souls that in all these important things of life, I am going to obey you. Hold me accountable. That is serious religion. They had despised it. Look what they were doing. Matthew 23, verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And 
Whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift? Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. Jesus took apart these Pharisees. Here are their errors. One other point. James 5.12 has a similar verse to what Jesus said, swear not at all, and anything more than yes or no is going to get you in trouble with God. James has a similar verse. Now, we've we got to race past this point. Jesus was a minister to the circumcision. He was a minister to Israel. He actually told his disciples, do not go but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They had a problem in Israel with swearing. James, he opens up his epistle by saying, James, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad. Same people, same religious problems, having their profane swearing addressed by the the apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three errors. The first error, and we're back in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. The first error is to make swearing a common event for everyday acts. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 16, we're told that an oath is to put an end to strife. When you have a real difficulty with someone and you want to really ascertain, now this is when people fear God, otherwise it doesn't mean a thing. You know, in our court system, are you kidding me? You know, the average person that puts his left hand in the Bible has never touched one before. And when he raises his right hand and says God, the only time he's used the word God before is is to take his name in vain and blaspheme. But when a nation fears God and you call a man to give his testimony in the name of the Lord Jehovah, there was a tendency to speak the truth, especially with precious little Bible stories like Leviticus chapter 24, 10 through 16 that I just read to you. Men tended to tell the truth when they had sworn in the name of the Lord. The first thing is that they had resorted to swearing for all sorts of occurrences, even though the Bible tells us plainly in Hebrews 6.16, an oath is, is for men to end strife. When there's a disagreement between two men, one of them will call upon the name of the Lord to add weight and power to his words, and so it ends strife. God himself, so that Abraham wouldn't question his promise, swore by himself. Now, God swore by himself because he said he couldn't swear by any higher because there's no one higher than himself. So he swore by himself, saying, surely, blessing, I will bless thee. Because he he didn't know where to appeal. Because he's the God of heaven. I find that deliciously reverent and amusing when I read Hebrews 6. And I hope you do, too. He's great and he's glorious. And do you know why he was struggling? And wanting to swear? Because he wanted to reassure us that his promise, he will do what he said. And he will bless us. He wanted us to have an anchor for our souls that is this big. Not just a little anchor that might drift along the bottom and we could lose our mooring. He wanted a huge anchor for our souls. That's all Hebrews 6. It's a wonderful place. But God swore by himself because he couldn't swear by anyone higher. The fact that the Lord Jesus is going to say yes and no is good enough means that he's talking about everyday speech. The fact that Jesus Christ uses an example of swearing by your head, is that something you do in court? You know, we have a murderer on trial. Do you swear on your head to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? So help you head? Do you think they were doing that for serious matters? No, they were doing it for frivolous matters throughout life. So the first point Jesus makes is the first heresy of these Pharisees was swearing on a regular basis. Throwing out the head, the earth, the heaven, and Jerusalem. You say, who'd ever swear by heaven? Ever heard this one? For heaven's sakes. Oh, Oh, you're right. I have heard people swear by heaven. This lesson is teaching us that to say, for heaven's sake, is swearing. Because, have you, have you followed the reasoning? Heaven is God's throne, and God is sitting thereon. For you to use the word heaven and let it come out of your lips for any light occasion is swearing by the God of heaven himself, 
And so you ought not to talk about heaven unless it's being done in a very sober way and in the right occasion. We're going to get to the application in a minute. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but it's serious business. And you might read this and say, I've never heard anybody swear by heaven. How many of you heard what I just said? For heaven's sake. Okay, then the Lord said, nor by the earth, in verse 35. Have you ever heard someone say, my lands? Ever heard that? They're swearing by earth. You know, the Bible, the, this book was written, you know, quite a while ago. But it's got us in the 21st century, doesn't it? Yeah. Does that tell you anything about its author? Amen. Why in the world, in the enlightened 21st century, do people still say, for heaven's sakes, and my lands, I'll tell you something about your lands. They ain't worth anything. And I don't care if you've got Bill Gates' lands. I don't care if you've got the United States Forest Department's lands. They're worth nothing in the sight of God compared to his name. And he wants his name used, not your lands. That is profane blasphemy to appeal to your lands as something valuable to add weight to your words. He wants you to swear by him and only when it's a serious matter. Didn't we read in Matthew 23 that you could break the oaths that were by these frivolous things? Didn't Jesus say you have this tradition that if you swear by the temple, it's nothing? If you swear by the temple and you get in a little trouble or a little squeeze, don't worry about keeping that oath because it doesn't matter. We Jews, we know what to swear by. We swear by the gold of the temple. What profanity! Can you believe that? He is a, did you read the verse? He, it's nothing if you swear by the temple. He is guilty if he swears by the gold of the temple. That's what Jesus is condemning. That's what Jesus is condemning. A frivolous use of oaths. And I'm going to, brethren, we are all guilty. And we live in a nation that is guilty. I'm, I'll get there. We're no better than Isaiah. And when Isaiah saw the Lord, look what, look what bothered him the most. This thing. God has given us this thing which forms words and can describe God and can use his great and glorious name in the wrong situation. Our mouths are very important. And we want to learn to rule them, especially in religious matters. First heresy was they were swearing for all sorts of occasions. Their second heresy, they're swearing by things other than God. God said, thou shalt swear by my name. And they're swearing by lands, heaven, Jerusalem, temple, gold, altar, sacrifices on the altar, their head. Pitiful. When God had said, swear by my name. The third heresy was... They were allowing people to back out of vows by saying it was nothing if it wasn't very important. If it, if it didn't involve some cash, you can let it slip. You know, it's the gift on the altar because it costs something that uh, we're going to hold you to. But if you swear by the altar, it's nothing. Credible profanity. Profanity means not to treat anything in a holy way. I use the word profane a lot. You see it in the daily Proverbs. I use the word profane because I love it, and it's a Bible word, and it means not to treat something in a holy way, and we have a very unholy generation that we are part of, and they treat everything in a profane way. You know, every church this morning that is having casual worship is profaning the worship of God, because the Bible says that he is a great king, and not to come dressed to your best, and it doesn't mean for vain show, it means to honor the God of heaven. That is why we dress up for church. We find it before the law of Moses. We find it in the law of Moses. And we find that we ought to worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. And if you were to go meet someone important in this life, you would go dressed up. And that's pitiful when, we, when they don't do it in church. But they profane everything. You know, they've taken African sex music and they've made it church music. Most praise bands are using African sex music and they've profaned the worship of God with music from the continent that has no light. There is a difference in music. All you have to do is look at who performs it and who dances to it and who buys the CDs. Amen. And on and on we could go about how they profane the religion of God in the generation in which we live. First heresy that they had done, and Jesus is correcting, they were swearing for inconsequential matters and events of life. Then they were swearing with the wrong things, and then they weren't keeping their oaths because they were saying, well, you can get out of that one, no problem. So Jesus is going to correct that, and Jesus does correct it. 
His words, swear not at all, must be understood in the sense, don't swear in the way the Pharisees have taught swearing. Because he said, ye have heard that it hath been, that it hath been said by them of old time. He's correcting the Pharisees' doctrine of swearing all the time, swearing by the wrong objects, and not keeping your oaths. So Jesus is going to correct those things. And he does correct them. Look what he, We know what he's saying. When he says swear not at all, he immediately explains what he means by swear not at all. Swear not at all like this. Neither, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Notice, not one hint of a reference to godly swearing in the name of God. All of his examples and illustrations here are swearing by foolish things, which obviously were for foolish occasions, and Matthew 23 tells us they didn't even keep some of these. That's what he's correcting. But let your communication be, in all these matters, where the Pharisees have these foolish oaths, let your communication be yes or no. And, and this is the lesson for it. This is one of the lessons. When we say yes, we, sh- we better keep it. Amen. When we say no, we better keep it. And when we, we should be known as people that keep our word. Yes or no. Yay, yay and nay, nay. We don't have to add anything to our word because if we're Christians and we perform our word, we will do what we say. You don't have to involve an oath. That's the Lord's lesson. In Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37 let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. But he is only talking about the common occurrences and events of everyday life. He is not talking about the important things of life because the rest of the New Testament is full of cursing and oaths and charges and promises and vows and swearing in order to press men to their duties in the name of the Lord. He's talking about common events. Let it be yes or no. Paul did not settle for yes in the New Testament. Jesus didn't settle for yes. Let me give you an example. I want you to turn to it. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. The very Lord Jesus Christ, who said, Swear not at all, and anything more than yes or no is sin. Notice how the Lord Jesus dealt with swearing. Matthew chapter 26, verse 62, And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? Now there's a yes and no question. But Jesus held his peace. Jesus would not answer him. He was asked a question by someone in authority. And Jesus would not answer him. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, You bet I am. I am exactly what you said. And I've got a little bit more for you that I'd like to tell you. And he goes on for the next verse or two to explain what those priests in in Israel were going to witness before some of them found the cemetery. Now, here's the same Jesus that said, swear not at all, that honored swearing in court. If he meant what he said in Matthew 5, 33 through 37, to apply to all oaths, all swearing, he would have told the high priest in verse 64, I can't answer that now because you've made it into an oath. I can't answer that now because you're swearing me to it. I hope you're all with me. Jesus went right on and did it, and the Apostle Paul was the greatest. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. When he wanted to get Timothy's attention, he would say, I charge thee before God (laughs) and the Lord Jesus Christ, who quickeneth all things, and who professed a good profession before Pontius Pilate. Do you understand that all those words are part of one long oath? Timothy would be rattled in his chair just reading the thing. And you know what it was for? It was to try to keep a few honest, faithful ministers in this world. Because do you know what Paul had to write about most of them? Most of them had left him. Many were corrupting the word of God. And do you know what Paul told Timothy? 
I expect you to charge men just the way I charged you. And that's what we did a few years ago when we had an ordination, didn't we? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord. What is that? That is an oath and swearing them to a covenant. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord, that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. That's the rest of the New Testament. Jesus Christ, when he said swearing it at all, means don't swear like the Pharisees. Don't swear for everyday occasions. Don't swear by frivolous objects like the temple or Jerusalem. And don't swear and don't keep your word. Let your word be yay, yay, or no, and do it. You shouldn't have to invoke an oath to convince people that you're going to do what you've said. How do we apply this? Well, first of all, we want to make sure that we don't get messed up like the Mennonites and the Jehovah's Witnesses. Come back to Matthew chapter 5, and let me just remind you of what kind of a sermon we're dealing with. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus has already told us, I'm not come to destroy the law. So when the law says, thou shalt swear, and Jesus says, swear not at all, we have have a, it's called a Bible dilemma. I mean this in all respect. It's what ministers get paid for. You say, well, I see it. That's because you were taught it. I'll tell you. You know why I see it? Because I was taught it. Or we could have a little church of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mennonites or other groups that are just like them that will not take any kind of an oath because of the word, swear not at all. But you have Jesus. You have the law of Moses saying, thou shalt swear. You have Jesus saying, I came not to destroy the law. And you have Jesus saying, Swearing it at all. Thou shalt swear. I'm not destroying the law. Swearing it at all. There must be some way to reconcile those verses together. And that's what Bible study is all about. Rightly dividing the word of truth. That the workman is not ashamed. Mennonites and Jehovah's Witnesses should be ashamed for their ridiculous position that they take. And it has caused unknown sarcasm and ridicule of the cause of Jesus Christ because they will not make an oath to do their duty and to tell the truth in the name of the God of their own religion. Is that absurd? Amen. Look at this chapter that we've dealt with already. Did Matthew chapter 5, earlier, in verse 22, say that anyone that says, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire? Does it say that? Did God ever say, Thou fool, to a rich man one night when he thought he was going to build bigger barns? Yep. Did God sin and is God in danger of hellfire? Did the Apostle Paul write the skeptics in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 36 and say, Thou fool, about their questions about the resurrection? We're putting a sense on the words. Are you with me? If there is a chapter in the Bible that you want to go to for practical illustrations of putting a sense, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Let me give you a few more examples. Should we pluck out our right eyes and cut off our right hands? Okay, that's a figurative expression of extreme harsh treatment of your body, trying to get across a point about taking temptations out of your life. We dealt with that last Sunday. Look at verse 39. Jesus, but I say unto you, here we have the same construction as verse 34, but I say unto you that ye resist not evil. If, if you are going to take a position, or, you're going to, or someone else is going to take a position, on Matthew 5.34, swearing it at all, that it means never swearing? Then when we come to Matthew 5.39, you can never resist evil. What are you parents going to do when your children are living evilly? Are you going to resist them? Should a policeman resist evil? Amen. Should our military resist evil? Amen. Should a pastor resist evil? Amen. Should you resist evil in your own life? Amen. What in the world? Put a sense on the words. We're going to get to it next week. It's personal retaliation. Verse 40, if a man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. What if someone sues you for your house? Are you going to wait till the verdict is in and then double it? I'll spend the rest of my life to buy you another one. Is that what you're going to do? Or are these small minor matters of personal retaliation that Jesus is dealing with here? Verse 42, give to him that asketh thee. And from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. When a thief steals your car and leaves a note, saying, thank you for it, 
Are you just going to say you're welcome? Verse, the first four verses of Matthew 6. Take heed that you do not your alms before men. And it goes on to say, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then we have Acts chapter 4 that says, Joseph, who was also called Barnabas, was brought up before the whole church for giving a great gift to the early church. Do you find, are, you, are you all with me on these illustrations? Amen. Jesus said to do it in secret and let no one know about your giving. And he used the extreme language of don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And yet in the Bible we have men listed by name to the whole Christian world that gave gifts to the church. Amen. Because what is the error he's going after in Matthew chapter 6? The Pharisees who would blow a trumpet in the street for you to make, make sure they got your attention so that you wouldn't miss the clang of their money dropping into the treasury. Right. And so we put the word of God in its context. Look at verse 19. Laying it up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Anyone here have a savings account? It says, laying it up for yourselves treasures upon earth. It says it. If the word of God says it, I believe it. The Word of God means what it says and says what it means. Where the Bible speaks, we speak. Where the Bible is silent, we're silent. These are all the little jingles of the Church of Christ. They don't know what they're talking about. Laying it up for yourselves, treasures upon earth, you better have a savings account because in other places God tells you to have one. He says, go to the ant thou sluggard who works hard all summer to have something for all winter. Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. Does that mean you can't have two jobs? It says no man can serve two masters. What about three jobs? I've known some hardworking men that had three jobs. Or are these opposing masters, and that's the sense. Amen. How about verse 25? Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink. That means you can't make a shopping list. Ladies, when you go shopping... You cannot make a shopping list or think about any of the meals that you're in that store for. I don't know what you're going to buy. But if we're going to take these words literally, like with childlike faith, we sure are going to be simple like children. And the Bible tells us not to be like children in understanding. Because it takes work to figure these things out. And you know, Matthew 7.1 is the number one verse that's thrown at our website. Judge not that ye be not judged. Now, if we just take those words and hang on those words, then we will not judge. But all we have to do is read five more verses and find out that we're supposed to judge some men are pigs and dogs. And not to cast our pearls or feed our bread to them. We can forget about. There, there's so many references here it would choke a horse. Because the Bible is filled with swearing because it's an act of worship. The New Testament is filled with it. I've quoted you a few of the Apostle Paul, and I hope it's sufficient for the case. It'll be our wisdom to figure out how this can apply to us in the year 2005. The first thing we got to do is have a proper occasion for swearing. What is What has Jesus taught us from these verses? We need to have a proper occasion, a proper event for swearing. When you're in court, it's a proper event. You know, thank God that we live, and I mean that. Thank God we live in a country that is profane as it is. When you go to court, most cases you are still called to have an oath in the name of God on his Bible. Amen. So help me God. Wow. I'm, gl I'm glad for that. You know, hardly anyone believes it. Hardly anyone practices it. But yet we have the resemblance of a Christian nation and a godly nation here in America. That's an acceptable occasion because the Lord even answered one, didn't he? I adjure thee by the living God. That's the same thing as our courts do. That's a judge up there in his black robe saying, take your oath. Same thing as the high priest saying to Jesus, I adjure thee by the living God, tell us whether you are the Son of God or not. We need an occasion like that. You know, we, we have covenants and oaths and vows when we get married. We call them vows. We call them marriage vows. Because you do them in the presence of God and his angels and witnesses. So you make vows to your spouse of what you're going to do toward them. Those are serious and important parts of life. And it's there that we appeal to the name of God for what we're going to do. All the frivolous and expletive uses of God's name or anything to do with God is totally blasphemy. 
And it would have been what that man did in Leviticus 24, 10 through 16, when in the heat of a fight, he let out of, the, out of his mouth the name of the Lord. And you know, when people say, God, I'm using it for your instruction. That is disgusting blasphemy. And you know, it's popular. And they use GD. And they use JC. And they use it as oaths. Especially the part of the country I came from. I'll use it all the time. Those are profane, blasphemous uses of the name of God. There is no occasion for it. When do they utter things like that? When the simplest little things happen to them. They stub their toe, they hit their finger with a hammer. The littlest things happen, and out comes something like that. A report isn't done the right way in an office, and out comes one of those expletives using the name of God. I hope you know that that can never be tolerated, never allowed, and our children can never get close to it. God's name includes His attributes. When the Bible describes our God, He says His name is holy. Have you ever heard anybody describing things of this world as holy? Holy this and holy that? And, And holy horrible things sometimes. That is terrible blasphemy. There is only one holy. And it's the Lord. He's the thrice holy God and He expects that word holy to be used with great care. It's pitiful, the expletives that fly out of men's mouths in America. When they hit their thumb with a hammer, a traffic light turns red, or someone sneezes. What do people say when someone sneezes? Bless you. Why are you calling blessings down on someone for sneezing? That is absurd. That shows the insanity of the human race. To call a blessing down on someone who sneezes. And it's a habit. And it just flies out of the mouth. Who are you calling the blessing down from? Who, who is the source of all blessings? You can't bless anybody. You're calling God's blessing on someone for sneezing? Because they filled the air with their germs? Disgusting. Those are not proper occasions for swearing at all. Proper occasions for swearing are when we're in court or when we're going to commit ourselves to the Lord to do something great for Him or when we're in the house of God and we're moved by the worship of God. And like David said, you want to promise your performance to the Lord. Like when we're baptized, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Ghost. It's as strong of an oath as I can ever usher issue. And what are you doing when you're baptized? I am going to rise to walk in newness of life and obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptize me in his name. And I am swearing you to that obedience. That's why I do it in his name. I've baptized you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of heaven. When we ordain someone, I'm going to charge them in the name of the Lord, just like I'm told to do and just like Paul charged Timothy. Those are important events. You know, I've mentioned in court. I've mentioned marriage, I've mentioned baptism, I've mentioned ordination. Those are important events, and when we do those, it should all be done in the name of the Lord. Not the name of our denomination, not the power of the state of South Carolina, because it has no power in comparison to the God of heaven. We do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we need to have a proper object for swearing. And we've already seen in the Bible that the proper object for swearing is the name of the Lord himself. That's what we want to appeal to in the examples I just gave you. Do you know what people swear by today? Listen to this. They take take common words and use them as an expletive with an exclamation mark after it to add seriousness to a situation or to convince you of how terrible something is. Heavens. Hell. Hell is a place that God created for the judgment of the wicked. You're not going to send anyone there. God is in total charge of that place. He created it. His enemies are there. And you don't have a right saying it unless you're using it to teach the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and to do that in a reverent and holy way. But out comes that word. Lands. Already meant Jupiter. Man. Ever heard that one? Man. That hurt. You're swearing by man. 
You're swearing because you hit your thumb with a hammer? The occasion's wrong and the object is wrong. Are you all with me? You know, when I get done here, if we were all to appear in the glory of Jesus Christ and see the smoke filling his temple, every single one of us would scream in grief and agony like Isaiah did. Amen. The Lord was high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. The seraphim were there. The cherubim. The smoke filled the house as they cried out the thrice holy God. And all Isaiah could think about is this. And all he could think about is this, of what he had heard from others in the nation that was supposedly God's people. I hope I'm not offending you with some of these examples, but I want you to think. Ever heard somebody say, by George? Ever heard by George? George who? George Carl? George Washington? Little boy George? Who in the world are you talking about? And why are you appealing to George? I can't wait for the people that want to use the name George when they meet God because he's going to drop them into hell. They have sworn for an occasion that didn't deserve swearing and they have sworn by a name where they've put greater than Jehovah because he says, swear by my name, only my name. Verse after verse after verse. Jumping catfish. Yes, Robin. Damn. As an expletive. There's only one being that can damn. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. That was done with the sobriety of the Holy Spirit and the holiness of the Apostle Paul. And that is, that is a serious oath in the Bible and a curse. Look at the objects that foolish men use to swear by for foolish events and to let things come out of their lips, you and me. I hope that none of these will come out of our lips. You know, to, to use the name of God or to use the name of his son, Jesus Christ, some have a little, they get a little queasy to use the name of God or the name of Jesus Christ, so they make up a few euphemisms to cover themselves. Gaul. Where did Gaul come from? Are you speaking of that portion of France that is known as Gaul? Gaul. Golly. G. Where did G come from? Is it because you remember the instructions to a musher with his dogs? G is one of his terms of instruction to his dogs. Is that where it came from? Or is it a euphemism for Jesus? Golly. Golly G. G whiz. Gosh. Darn. Dog gone. Dog nabbit. Jiminy cricket. Jiminy Cricket. Is that short for our Lord Jesus Christ? The blessed and only potentate King of Kings and Lord of Lords? And that comes flying out of Americans' mouths. Isaiah 6 ought to be a precious passage to you. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Euphemistically covering for using God's name in vain. Why are you saying any of those words? It must be because you're a liar. Because if you're an honest man, all you need is yes or no. I hit my thumb. If you hit your thumb. How about these combinations of blasphemy? My goodness. You know what Jesus said? There's only one good. My goodness. What do you think about the words? Look, look what the, look what habit has created. My goodness. You don't have any goodness. You have none at all. You're a depraved sinner. There's only one good and that's God. And does, do you realize the depravity of man? Look at all the creation. You've heard those before. Look at what the, look at how creative man is to come up to blaspheme the God of heaven. Even in a Christian nation. 
My goodness is not something that can be lightly overlooked. My goodness is you making an oath. That's, that's said with an exclamation mark. You're making an oath about something that's happened to you or something you're going to do based on your goodness. Gracious. Don't you deal with my God's grace like that. What happened for you to say gracious? Somebody sneezed? Holy cow. Holy Moses. Moses wasn't holy. God is holy. And we get a whole lot worse. You know, our nation uses sex acts, incestuous acts, sex organs, human or animal excrement for their oaths. And they will attach holy to some of those words. You know what it says about them? Remember, an oath or swearing is a man appealing to the highest power or authority he knows to add weight and credibility to his words. God said he would give them a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. And here are men trying to add weight to their words by appealing to bull excrement. Is that incredible? Is the God of heaven great? He has so blinded them that they are using for an oath a pile from a bull. They are adding weight and credibility to their words by appealing to cow excrement. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and for changing our hearts and our minds and for changing our lips and help us change them more. The proper occasion is only serious times. The proper object is only the name of God and only in those proper and serious times. Then we need to have a proper religion, which means that we're living up to naming that name of the Lord God of hosts. That's where Agur said, Lord, don't make me poor where I might steal and take your name in vain. The taking his name in vain would be a follower of God stealing. The Apostle Paul would put it this way. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ... Depart from iniquity. Because if we don't depart from iniquity, while we are taking the name of Christ in 2 Timothy 2.19, we're taking his name in vain. We're all claiming to be Christians. We ought to live like them. And the proper action is that if we vow, we keep our vow. If we promise something, whether it has a vow attached or doesn't, we keep it. We do it. We do as we said we would do. So that's the proper action. We want to hate any light use of God's name or any related thing. Do you know how strict the Bible is about this? Let me remind you of something that I taught last Sunday evening, or I may have mentioned it last Sunday evening. We're not even to call any man on earth father in a religious way. And what was Jesus' explanation for that? The use of the word father. I'm I'm, I'm bringing it to a focus point now on application for us. We want to have the proper occasion, the proper object, the proper religion of of living a life worthy of the name of God and the proper action to every promise we make or every vow we take that we will perform it. I've been through those four things, but now let's think even further. We don't even want to use any words related to God or the Bible or truth or salvation in a light way. He did not want us to use the word call any man father on earth in a religious sense. And he explained why. For one is your Father which is in heaven. So it's not even God, the name of God or Jehovah, that we have to worry about, but it's titles like Father. That's how specific the Bible is. I'm not making this up. This is the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to get near heaven. His standard of righteousness was so different than theirs. We have no right to jest with Bible subjects, or Bible characters, or Bible verses, or Bible expressions, or heaven or hell. You know, have you heard the one, have you heard the one about the Catholic, the Jew, and the Muslim? <laughs> I'm retarded, and I would like to share a joke with you. God is going to divide between denominations and religions, and he'll take care of all of that. That is foolish talking, and that is jesting. Sober men, godly men like Job, 
holy men like Paul, righteous men like David, didn't talk like that. Those are holy things, and we don't tell jokes about them. St. Peter isn't controlling heaven. You know where that comes from? Anytime you tell a joke about anybody arriving and seeing St. Peter, where did that come from? You're telling a Catholic joke. Let them be the blasphemers. They enjoy it. They thrive on it as they turn their saltines into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Listen, we've made, all of us that are married have made marriage vows. It was truly a covenant before God. Can you remember them? Are you keeping them? We've developed a pretty strong marriage covenant. And the reason is we want to put in it all that God has said to put in it. And we want to use the oath that he said to use as the Lord liveth. We want to say it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that, he is our Savior of the New Testament. He's the one that the Apostle Paul would swear Timothy to action in his name, in the name of God, his Father. You know, the Bible warns us about foolish talking and jesting and filthiness coming out of our mouths. And we want to guard against all three of those categories. We're going to be held accountable for every idle word, especially idle words in the house of God. When we're in the house of God, we already read this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, keep thy foot. Think about where you're going. Keep thy foot. You are going into God's house. Then he said, be not rash with thy mouth. Many words are the sign of a fool. Make, sh- make sure you know where you're going, and then make sure you know what's coming out of your mouth. When we're in God's house, we sing with our understanding. We don't just sing to make a noise and sing to form words with our lips. We're told to sing with our understanding. Some of those songs have commitments in them. Like, Jesus, I my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee. You're in the house of God. Your feet have carried you there. Now your mouth is saying a promise. Now, not all songs are promises. Not all songs are vows like that, because many of them are hymns, and they're all directed to God himself. But some of them, we're answering a call and making a commitment. It's coming out of your mouth. You're in the house of God. We want to be very careful about those. And how, do we, how are we careful about them? We come prepared so that we're saying them with our understanding, as Paul told us to, and then we live up to them. We're going to fail, and we ask God to forgive us. We don't plan on failing. We want to live up to them. We pray with the understanding, and we'll pray and we'll say things in our prayers. We better understand what we're saying, mean what we're saying, and live up to it, because we're uttering, how do we end every prayer? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, look what you've just done. You've invoked the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to make your prayer acceptable in the sight of God. I hope that we're living up to what we've said. We baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive members in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a serious covenant and oath. Our words should be sober. Everything we do in life as a Christian, I like this. Everything we do in life as a Christian, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Our whole life should be one of dedication to our great God and Father in heaven. Paul showed us how to ordain, and we'll keep ordaining that way. By charging men in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've made a vow that involves sin, you've promised to do something that would be sinful if you went ahead and did it. You made a vow when you were ignorant. Confess your vow to the Lord. He'll forgive you. See, a vow isn't more important than the righteousness of God. And for, for you, and that's, that's twisted thinking. To start thinking, well, because I made a vow, then I should go ahead and do this, even though I've learned subsequent to the vow that this is sin. Well, don't do a second sin. Recognize your first sin and confess it. And ask God to forgive you for the first sin of promising to do the second one. That's not hard to follow. An oath isn't that... An oath is not so important that you have to do it to sin against God. But now there's another kind of oath. You can make an oath or a promise or a covenant, and then it might, it's going to cost you a little bit more than you thought it was going to cost. You go ahead and pay it. Because we read, we've read in Psalm 15 that those that stand in heaven, of marks of the truly righteous, are those that swear to their hurt and change not. And what did 
Solomon say in Ecclesiastes 5? He said, don't, don't try to tell the angel it was an error. When you've opened your mouth rashly and promised God something. Oh, brethren, you know, the Lord cares about what comes out of our lips. He gave us the faculty of speech, and he gave it to us for his honor and glory. He wants us using our tongues and our lips. He wants our praise. He wants our thanksgiving. He wants us boasting of him together. It is the will of God for your life to give thanks. He wants us to use his name. He says, swear by my name. Paul did swear by his name. But he doesn't want any of the frivolous swearing of the Pharisees. We want to have the right occasion. And I've limited it to very serious matters. We want to have the right object. The name of God himself and the Lord Jesus Christ. We want the right religion. Living worthy of that name before we take it in any way. We want the right action of keeping everything that we say when we, when we utter an oath or a vow. And we want to have a life that yes and no is good enough for all matters except the most important. Yes and no is enough because if that brother said it, he is going to do it. I know him. If he said he's going to be here at such and such a time, he will be there on time. If he said he's going to mail such and such, it'll be in the mail. You can count on it. Because he said, yes, I'll do it. Or if somebody says, no, I won't do that, you can count on That has not happened. They did not do it. I don't even care if it looks like they did it. They didn't do it. That's the kind of character that we all ought to have with our yes and no. And anything more than that for the common events of life, you head right towards sin. Because if you start swearing for minor matters, then you run into what Jesus Christ was condemning. And I've given you a bunch of illustrations. We use euphemisms to cover up using God's name. Golly gee and all those things are wrong. By George, for heaven's sake, my lands. And all the other words that we use should not come out of our mouths. We should not jest. We should not tell jokes about God, heaven, hell, denominations, or things like that. Those things are not to be joked about. In fact, I can't find anything that's supposed to be joked about. God will give us things that are amusing enough in our children and at the local zoo. Go and amuse yourself. But you don't have to make up amusement. You know, amusement's dangerous. The Bible tells us to muse, not to amuse. Amuse is no thinking. Muse is thinking. And he says to do, those, to do things in the house of God with our understanding. I hope that you remember Isaiah, what happened to him when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And being proclaimed as the thrice holy God, he was condemned about his lips. May we today be condemned about our lips. May we be very serious when we open them up and let words out that they will be pleasing and acceptable in the sight of the Lord, our God, because Jesus taught that we shall be judged or justified by our words and will give an account for every idle word. And this kind of swearing that Jesus condemned were all idle words because they were unnecessary for the minor events of life. May we be sober about our speech and not have to give an account from this day forward of any idle words. Lord, help us and save us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.